The following message is by Dr. Matt Thornton, pastor of North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website, northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. A couple of years ago, I planted a tree in front of our house, but I didn't think it survived. It didn't grow. It wasn't budding. And that was a little disappointing, but not that surprising because nobody has ever accused me of having a green thumb. So I assumed at some point I would need to dig the tree up, get rid of it, try to start over. But wouldn't you know it that eventually the tree budded. It produced some really beautiful dark red leaves, and it's growing so much now that it's trying to take over the whole front of the house. Obviously, the tree was always alive. I just didn't know it. I didn't know it until it grew and it produced. And that gave me assurance. And assurance is one of the great benefits of fruitfulness. Not just in the life of a plant, but also in the life of a child of God. If you'll open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll focus on verse 9 through 11 this morning. But last week, Peter commanded us to grow and be fruitful. He specifically told us to, to give maximum effort to add to our faith those other, that list of other virtues in, in verse 5 through 7. And he said that if we do that, if we do that and those things are increasing and abounding in our lives, then we're not barren. We're not unfruitful. And this morning we're going to see two truths that, that sort of naturally follow from that. We'll see that spiritual fruitfulness will bring assurance. But the, the flip side of the coin, however, is that spiritual unfruitfulness will lead to forgetfulness. So let's read verse 5 through 11, but we'll focus on verse 9 through 11 this morning. Peter writes in verse 5, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity or love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what if we don't add these virtues, Peter? What if we don't grow? What if I don't give maximum effort to become a fruitful Christian? Is there danger in that at all? What would that mean? Well, that's where verse 9 comes into play. Verse 9 begins with, He that lacks these things. And of course, these things are obviously those, those previous virtues listed. They're not a part of this person's life. He or she has not put forth effort to grow in the grace of God. 
Uh, there is no, no fruit being produced. The traits have not been added to faith. And there's a tragic result if, if a saved person lacks that fruitfulness. Peter says that person's blind. That's not literal. It's not that this person has lost his or her physical eyesight. But Peter used this really strong, maybe even shocking and surprising language to show us that an unfruitful person has lost spiritual perspective. It's gone. Obviously, this person is blind to the fact that they need to be growing. Blind to the importance of cultivating these Christian characteristics in their lives. But Peter also clarifies what he means by blindness as, as we continue with the rest of the verse. Notice he adds, this person cannot see afar off. This unfruitful person suffers from spiritual myopia. You say, what's that? What's myopia? Well, some of you may have it. You say, how dare you, Brother Matt? It's nearsightedness. Our term myopic or myopia comes from this Greek word that speaks of not being able to see afar off. And it is being nearsighted. Some of you may have that trouble. Things that are far away are fuzzy, a little blurry. They're not clear. And that's exactly what, what Peter means here. You say, but what does that mean in this spiritual context then? Well, he clarifies himself with the last part of the verse. Notice he says, And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Word forgotten here is a pretty strong word. Our words lethal and lethargic derive from this word. It's a word that the, the ancient Greeks used to name one of their mythical rivers of the underworld. In Greek mythology, if someone drank from the river Lethe, they forgot their past life. And that's what the Greeks assumed would happen in the afterlife, is someone would drink from this river so they could sort of move on from, the, from their past. Now, that's not true. That's their mythology. But that's, that's what a Greek would have thought about with this word. Just this forgetfulness. It's, it's a strong word, and there's strong imagery here. You could literally say that this person has received forgetfulness. And so that's what Peter meant when he said this person's blind and nearsighted. These terms were used as descriptions of forgetfulness. You say, well, what's, what had this person forgot? What's so blurry back there to them now? That he was purged from his old sins. The word purge means purified or cleansed, and some of you may have translations that translate it that way. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, His blood washes over you. You're cleansed. You are purified. Your former sins are washed away. We sing a song sometimes that has a lyric that said, uh, that says, sin had left a crimson stain, but what did he do? He washed it white as snow. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, a sinner 
has the opportunity to be innocent, undefiled, cleansed, purified in the presence of the holy God of the universe. And that's the most important decision you will ever make. And I pray this morning, if you've never made that decision, that you will. Repent of your sins, trust Jesus, and receive the cleansing power that is only offered in His blood. There is no other way to be purified before God than through the blood of His Son. But not only is it the most important decision you will ever make, but it's also the most life-changing decision that you will ever make. That wonderful event gives you a new birth as a child of God. It, it graces you with the opportunity to live and serve God and become a fruitful Christian for Him. But the person who's not doing that, the person who's not growing, not fruitful, not maturing, not adding the virtues that Peter just listed, that person has forgotten the life-changing power of his or her purification. How tragic is that? So what the unfruitful Christian fails to see, what becomes fuzzy to that person is his or her purification. The greatest thing that could ever and would ever happen, being cleansed, is now a blurry thing. I think it's natural for us to ask, how can someone who is truly saved actually get to a point where they lose such perspective on their salvation? It can happen if we're not growing in the knowledge of Christ. Peter's writing to saved people, and he's warning them. This is a real danger if we're not making every effort to add these virtues in an increasing fashion in our lives and grow and be fruitful. Have you ever heard the phrase, if you don't use it, you'll lose it? I'm going to give you an example of that. In high school, I took two years of Spanish. And I made A's in both years. But please don't come up to me today and try to start a conversation with me in Spanish. I'll just say adios. That's about all I remember. Since high school, I haven't used it much. I haven't grown in it. haven't been immersed in it. And guess what's happened? It's blurry. I've forgotten a whole lot. And that's Peter's warning here. If you're saved, but you're not using it, you're not growing in it like you should, you're not letting it affect your life like it should be, you'll forget. It, there, there's some blurriness there. Now, thank the Lord that you can't lose your salvation. That's not at all what Peter's talking about. But if you're an unfruitful and stagnant Christian, you will lose spiritual perspective. I don't think it necessarily means that you will have zero recollection of your salvation, as if the day was magically erased from your memory somehow. But you're living like it was. 
You're living like it doesn't matter to you. Since you're unfruitful, your life proves you've forgotten what should make you fruitful. I read one author who used the term spiritual amnesia, and I like that term. How sad to be a forgetful Christian. Much better to be a fruitful one. Because our fruit brings God glory, but as we move into verse 10, it will also give us assurance. Something that a forgetful person will lack. But a fruitful person will have confidence. Look at verse 10 again. He says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. This, this phrase, give diligence, is from the same word used back in verse 5, where he told us to give all diligence and make every effort to add these virtues to our faith. There he was concerned about our growth. Now he's using a similar term as he's concerned about our assurance. Give diligence, make every effort, give 100% to make your calling and election sure. These terms that Peter uses here, calling and election, they're associated. There's a relationship here. They, they both relate to our salvation. And we're not Calvinists, but we don't have to squirm when we see these words in the Bible. We just need to understand them properly. God indeed calls us through the preaching of the gospel, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And He elects whosoever will repent and believe. Brother Sean Holland is scheduled to be our adult vacation Bible school teacher this Tuesday. And his topic is the danger of Calvinism. So I'll just sort of stop there and leave it for him. And he'll say a lot more than I will say for now. But what Peter is saying here is that he wants your salvation to be sure. And the word sure here is a, it was a word used in legal settings like we might use the word ratified or certified or verified. Not that they are all supposed to rhyme, but it just happened that way there. It, it means to make something sure, certain, reliable, trustworthy. If you look down at verse 19, he uses the same word to describe the, the sure nature of God's word when he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. There's the same word. Is God's word reliable? Can you count on God's word? Do you trust that? Are you secure in it? Peter wants that same security in your heart about your salvation. He wants it to be certified. He wants you to be that certain of it. Now, of course, we want, we want our lives to show evidence to others, don't we? We absolutely want that. Nobody can, can see your faith. They can't see your salvation, but they should hopefully see the fruits of it, right? They can see the effects of it. Just like you can't see the wind, but you can sure see the leaves blowing around. And I don't want to minimize those effects, but that's all that other people have to go by, isn't it? All we see are fruits. God knows if there are actual roots or not. But when we think about our lives producing fruit and giving evidence to others, that, that's great. But Peter's concern in verse 10 
is actually more for your own assurance than the evidence that you give to others. Not that they're necessarily unrelated, but this phrase here, to make, give diligence to make, it has the idea of to make for yourself. To make for yourself. So it's not just that you're making this assurance a reality, but you're also enjoying that it's a reality at the same time. It's like if you cooked a meal and you're the only one at home. You're, you're doing the cooking and you're also going to receive the food. Peter wants you assured of God's calling and election in your life. It might not surprise you to know that sometimes Christians struggle with that. Sometimes we do. I surrendered to preach about 14 years ago. And in those brief years of talking with people and counseling people spiritually, I've spoken with a lot more people who had doubts about their salvation than people who knew they were lost and needed salvation. Sometimes we lack assurance. It is a, a real danger. It is a dilemma. But Peter's teaching here about fruitfulness helps us a whole lot with that. If we're the person of verse 9, failing to grow, failing to add these virtues that Peter listed, not, not using our salvation like we should, our very cleansing will be blurry. And sure, we're going to suffer then from doubts, from lack of peace, forgetting and doubting. Those are heartbreaking and troubling things in the life of a child of God. The flip side of, of the coin is that if we follow the command of verse 5, and we do make every effort to add these virtues so that we're not unfruitful, we're then using our salvation. We are growing in it. Then we'll see the fulfillment of verse 10. The fruit that's produced in your life through the grace of God's Spirit will absolutely verify in your heart your calling and election. You will have peace. You will have certainty. Spiritual fruitfulness provides assurance. Bearing fruit is not what saves you, but it's evidence that you have been saved. It's proof. And it gives us a peace. It gives us an assurance. Yes, to others, right? Others do see the evidence of your, of your faith. They do see that fruit. But it, it provides peace and assurance to you that an unfruitful person does not enjoy. So fruitfulness will help us to be assured and if you notice the very end of verse 10, it also provides protection from stumbling. He says, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. The word fall has the idea of stumbling and tripping. Figuratively, it's, it's stumbling into sin or falling into sin. And Peter is not saying that uh, if you're a fruitful Christian, you'll achieve this sinless state, the sinless perfection. That's not what he's saying. 
But if we're growing like we should, striving to serve more each day, then we don't have to worry about verse 9 coming true in our lives. We won't stumble the way a blind man would. We won't trip and fall the way a, a severely nearsighted person would. We won't forget the reality of our cleansing because our eyes are open to the reality of it. And, and we do see the importance of fruitfulness. Sure, we fail sometimes, but we march on. And we're thankful for that cleansing that we have. I read one man who said, A flourishing spiritual life is the safeguard against failure. So, being a fruitful Christian helps us right now in the present by giving us assurance of our salvation, by offering some protection against stumbling. But if you look at verse 11, there's also a wonderful future benefit to living faithful and being fruitful for God right now. Look at verse 11. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The way you live and the way you serve God will determine what kind of entrance you will have into the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ. It won't determine whether or not you're allowed entrance. That's settled once and for all at the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's that's the one entrance, if I can use this word in a different way. Jesus is the way. Didn't he say that? I am the way. In the Greek, the word entrance here is built on the same word Jesus used in John 14 when he said, I am the way. He is the entrance. He's the way in. Didn't Jesus even continue to say, no one comes to the Father? except through me. Jesus wasn't wrong. He wasn't mistaken. He wasn't unaware of any other ways to the Father. He alone is the mediator between God and men. And when you repent and when you trust Him, your entrance into His kingdom is secure. There's no changing your destination. It's a wonderful truth that the Bible teaches us that we call security of the believer. I mean, salvation cannot be lost. It's why it's referred to as eternal life, not temporary life or potential life. It's eternal life. It's also why salvation is spoken of in terms of something that has already happened, that is happening, and that will be ultimately fulfilled one day. Once you're saved, nothing can change that. You, you have entered and will enter the kingdom of God. But how would you like to be received? That's sort of the idea of the word entrance here in verse 11. And I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians. Paul uses this word twice, and it should help us here with 1 Peter and sort of give us an idea of what, what Peter meant with this word. 1 Thessalonians, most of the time in the New Testament when we see this word for entrance, it didn't refer to uh, the place of entrance. It's not the gate or the passageway or something like that. 
but it refers to the manner of entering, the way you were received. And, and we see that in, in two very uh, close verses in 1 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 1 and verse 9. Paul wrote, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in, same word, that we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The word that ESV translates it here is what kind of reception we had. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. The ESV translates that one as, as our coming to you. It was not in vain. And so we see in both of those verses, Paul wasn't talking about necessarily the, the, the where he entered the city from or what road he traveled in, in through or anything like that. Not how he got there in that regard, but how he was received. They didn't receive him in vain. His, his entering in there wasn't in vain. And so in 2 Peter, what Peter is saying is that for those Christians who live faithfully and fruitfully, God will provide a rich reception into the kingdom of his Son. Peter said that it will be ministered unto you abundantly. The word abundantly there is a word that has the idea of wealth. It means richly. And that idea fits with the word for ministered. Some of you have a translation that says provided or supplied. Because this word is from the same word Peter used in verse 5 that was translated as add or supplement. If you remember from last week, that word has the idea of a wealthy patron or benefactor lavishly giving of his own wealth to furnish and supply everything needed for this grand public celebration. So we learned last week that, that we should be like that wealthy person and we should supply whatever's needed to make this celebration happen. Whatever from our effort needs to be added to help us become fruitful Christians, we better give it. But now we see that if we do that, God is really the gracious benefactor and He will generously provide from His infinite wealth a triumphant, rich reception into His Son's kingdom because of His wonderful grace. When you think of somebody being received richly, what do you think about? I sort of have two things that come to mind, and one is of a soldier returning home after deployment. If you can watch a video of a soldier being reunited with his or her family and not get teary-eyed, you're a rock. I mean, your heart is made of stone. When they haven't seen each other for so long, and, and there's this reception, there's embracing, there is tears, there's passion, it is, it's awesome. Perhaps you think about a sports team that has won the biggest championship in their sport 
And when that airplane lands back in their home city, it might be 3 a.m. in the morning and there will be people at the airport waiting to cheer for them. There will be a parade thrown the next day with seas of people screaming for them, applauding them, giving them honor and praise. Listen, those heartwarming and powerful receptions will pale in comparison to what God has in store for his faithful children. Can you imagine what it will be like to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Faithfulness will be worth it. Just as God responds graciously to faith, he responds graciously and favorably to faithfulness. But if enjoying this rich reception doesn't seem like that big a deal to you, if it doesn't seem that important because you, you sort of view your salvation as nothing more than fire insurance, you're demonstrating the nearsightedness of verse 9. The things that are awaiting you in the future are just as blurry as the forgiveness you've experienced in the past. You need some better perspective spiritually. That's no way to live for the God who saved you. So if you're here this morning and you're, and you're saved, but you're spiritually unfruitful, you're blind, you're nearsighted, your lack of fruit proves you've, you've forgotten how valuable your cleansing is and how powerful it should be in your life. You fail to see the value in the manner of your reception into the kingdom. Be thankful that your entrance into the kingdom is not affected by you. But your reception is. Sometimes we just call it rewards. In this life, if you live like that, you'll suffer from instability, insecurity, you will lack peace, you will doubt. If that's you, today's the day for a change. Say, what do I do, Brother Matt? You follow Peter's command in verse 5. You start putting forth every effort with the help of God's Spirit and His grace to supplement your faith with these other virtues, to become a fruitful servant. Like that tree in my front yard, it finally started growing. Life was there the whole time, it just took a little bit. Let your growth and your fruitfulness provide assurance in your life. God wants that. God doesn't want his children doubting who they are Fruitfulness is a big help with that. It provides assurance and it provides protection against stumbling and failing. It'll be worth it because it will ensure that God will graciously give us a rich reception into the kingdom. Notice what Peter says at the end of verse 11. The kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You believe it or not, 
Second Peter is the only place in the entire New Testament where we see the phrase Lord and Savior. Isn't that sort of odd? We would not expect to see Lord and Savior all over the place. Only found in Second Peter. Peter knew that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the Savior. If you've never trusted him, he's the only way. If you have done that, serve him faithfully and fruitfully. He's coming back soon. We're at least one day closer today than we were yesterday. How do you want to be received into his kingdom? Would you stand? Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for what your spirit inspired Peter to write for us and how you have faithfully preserved it through the ages. And Lord, help us to not be forgetful, but to be fruitful. Lord, and we thank you so much for your grace. We, we await whatever riches you have in store for us, Lord. We pray that we will be good representatives here for you good fruitful servants individually and as a church, Lord. We thank you so much for what Jesus did for us. We're thankful for our cleansing, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray you were encouraged by today's message from the Word of God. This sermon audio is available for free on all major podcast formats, as well as our website at northbryantbaptist.org. Thank you for listening.